welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. All right, folks, if you're interested in gearing up for fall, um, be sure to head over to wool.love. That's wool.love and pick yourself up some merino wool undergarments. So we're talking top quality merino wool. We've been running them for a couple years now, and it's a game changer in the woods. Whether you're sitting in a tree stand or hiking trails, it's it's a great way to control the temperature of your body, and it's a great way to stay in the field longer. So pick some up now before it gets too cold. Wool.love, and you won't be disappointed. Welcome back. This is episode 129 of Panoramic Outdoors, and we have Eric Chesser on today from Hush. And uh, excited to get Eric on. Eric's a big name in the game, so it, I can't wait to hear the conversation, Chase. But uh, just you and I on the mics leading into it, Chase. How's it going over there in Oak Bank? Pretty good, pretty good, man. Um, just uh, trying to make some fall plans right now with uh, fall hunting plans and uh, also trying to put together the rest of the summer plans coming up here. With uh, with uh, a little bit of foraging, a little bit of fishing kind of thing. And, yeah, just trying to figure out what we can squeeze in. How about yourself? Not bad, not bad. Just uh, rolling into a new week here. The weekends have been a little tough to do with things on lately. But we did get the swellfish out on the creek for a little putt. And uh, we're still breaking in the motor. But the, the putt definitely helped with that. And uh, we were able to get it up to about three-quarter throttle and see how that performed. And not only did we get into uh, <laughs> a few fun spots, it handled really nice in the marsh, but uh, it was we had three guys and a dog in it, and it, uh, it chugged along just fine. So that, that was kind of exciting to see. Yeah, you guys look like you were uh, getting some good mile an hour out of it there, that's for sure. Um, I did want to say too i think it's a short shaft motor on that boat too so like um you know it's not a very deep haul at all it 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 it's kind of like it's almost scary when you first get into it because it's not the the walls of the boat aren't as as deep as a traditional aluminum boat yeah but it it is very sturdy that boat hey did you find that oh yeah it's it's super stable and uh it's also able to turn on a dime like you did warn me about. So uh, you can, you can crank her pretty good. And we, uh, we got, we went under the one bridge there on Netley Creek. So this, this Creek has a bridge with a little bit of a, maybe a uh, very like low water spot and it floated right over everything. So that was, that was kind of nice. 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 That's good to know. Um, excited to, uh, <laughs> And the oars are easy to deploy too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Those things are built right in, so it's perfect if you gotta bust them out. Um, I'm I'm getting pretty pumped up. We're dialing in some some plans for the fall moose camp here, um, and I'm I'm man, I can't wait to haul that thing up there and and uh, put it to work. I think it's gonna be pretty sweet. Yeah, man. You just shared the photo there on on Instagram, and then, yeah, I'm lamenting that I am not going to be able to make it up to Moose Camp this year. Oh, well. 
I, I trust that you guys are going to have better luck than we had last time. We're going to be a little bit more prepared, uh, a little bit more knowledge hidden in there. Are you, are you going to change the game plan up a little bit? I, I feel like after listening to the, or no, it wasn't the podcast. It was, it was the blog with Nate Carruthers uh, reading his moose hunting tips there. Just being able to dial in the, the method a little bit more. I feel like eh? yeah. Um, Nate definitely reinforced a lot of, a lot of methodology in the, the moose hunting world there. And I think, I think I'd, I'd try and spend more time calling in certain spots, but, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had issues getting to certain spots, Never mind, Yeah. uh, s- spending time calling. So I think it seems like there's some higher water than, than last year, which I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing what the river's like. And, uh, yeah, hopefully the traveling just is easier and, and not so crazy. Totally, man. What else is new? I saw a little mushroom picking on the weekend there, planning up. Yeah. So hopefully I'm going to head out to some new territory this weekend. Um, chanterelles are out like crazy. The the bleats are starting to come out and uh, ba- uh, bumper blueberry crop this year too. So um, got into a few blueberries last week and uh, I think hopefully there's still a bunch around by the weekend. And uh, yeah, so heading out to some new territory, southeastern Manitoba. We'll see what we can find. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to cool. trying to find a new adventure spot, pretty much. Yeah. Do you think Do you think we should tell people where they can get a swell fish? Oh yeah, totally. That's a great idea. If, if you guys are interested <laughs> in checking out the boats, obviously we got some uh, quick direction. You can check them out on Instagram, Swellfish, or if you want to head over to the website, check out swellfish.co. And uh, they have their full lineup of boats and full lineup of accessories there with our boat. They gave us a bunch of accessories that you can attach fishing stuff to, all your Scotty uh, fishing rod holders, drink holders, uh, fishing electronic holders, anything you can imagine you get for that. You can even get a Bimimi top for it to, to keep you in the shade on a hot day. So um, the sky's the limit really with these things. They're pretty sweet. The boys were impressed with the the accessory options and the transom. They like the transom too. Yeah, it's solid, right? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's pretty sweet little package, man. And that twenty horse zips it along real good. Yeah, I might try and get out for mushrooms with you. I'll keep you posted. Nice, nice. That's a good okay. idea. Let me know because uh, we'll be we'll be obviously planning for the day. So we'll be loading up the old chili moose there, and uh, the perfect little day cooler is what we got right now and um and yeah we'll be planning a a day trip there to hopefully find some something that we could put in the freezer or put in the pan totally totally yeah nice man and then uh what else are you thinking what how's the fall looking fall shaping up pretty good so far um i mean drew tag for elk so just planning to do like long weekends through the fall for elk hunting and then plan, plan out the, the moose hunting trip for the, for the big trip. But, um, and then I'll probably focus on whitetail after that. We'll see. I'd like to get in a, into a couple new areas. I got to do some scouting yet, do some e-scouting and, um, try and dial in a couple more public land spots, I think around here. And, and then, uh, yeah. Just prepping. Got the boat target in the basement. Take a couple shots every day and uh, hopefully, you know, get dialed in. How about yourself? Totally. 
we got to figure out a bit of an upland plan here and just get on some birds for old William there. I just, every, every day I look at him here with, uh, he's got the cone off now, so that's good news. But uh, every day looking at him and just making sure that we're going to be able to put him into service here and get him on some chickens. So Yeah, might have to do uh, an elk slash up, upland hunt one day up in the elk country there, the old chicken was, country. was thinking about it. We'll have to see what we can uh, make work there for sure. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, uh, other than that, yeah, just trying to figure out where we can squeeze in a little time, start a new gig. Not a lot of holiday time, so um, we'll have to make whatever we can make work on the weekends. Yeah, the, I'll be a true weekend warrior, and uh, yeah, I'll report back. Last year was tough, so who knows? Maybe we'll just get lucky this year, and it'll be a banner year for the the weekend warriors. I know. I said I'm. I'm. I mean, I'm hoping that things really go in our favor this year, but obviously, um, hoping what actually happens is is two different stories so i'm uh i'm prepping for for the long haul but i'm just fingers are crossed we get we get lucky and have a couple cool experiences and and uh just have a good fall totally let me ask you what did you uh what do you think of this chesser guy pretty good dude man he's he's uh from our conversation with him he is exactly how he portrays himself um on social media and all the videos and stuff like that just like uh, a great guy and um, really seems like a, one of those dudes that you can hang out with and get along with real well. So likes hunting. He's been chasing around elk since he was in his teenage years, which is super cool. And uh, yeah, pretty cool man. Yeah, it looks like he gets to do that on a level that maybe other folks. He's worked his way into position where he can hunt elk more than most people on this planet probably let's just put it that way i'm guessing yeah, eh? yeah he's got yeah. it figured out man he definitely yeah. has it figured out yeah. yeah all right well you know what it is yeah someone's got to do it right yep that's right we, we probably yep. can all do it that way so yeah one last plug here for uh, chili moose before we get rolling if you guys are interested in picking up a chili moose cooler head over to chili moose.ca that is dot ca and uh, get yourself new flow form cooler. All right, should we get it rolling? Let's, uh, well, I can't wait. Let's go. All right. This episode of the Panoramic Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Jiffy Ice Augers. If you're interested in getting some new equipment for this coming ice fishing season, head over to jiffyonice.com and check out their full lineup there. That's jiffyonice.com. Right on. I'd like to introduce our next guest to the podcast. You've probably seen him online. We first time I ever seen him was uh, on YouTube, actually, uh, going after the fireball. But welcome to the show, Eric Chesser. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Right on. The, how we normally get our, our podcast started is we start off with something what we call five burning questions. It's basically just to get our um, our audience to know the guest and kind of for us to figure out what the guest is like too. So we're going to start out with that. I got the first question for you. Uh, if you had one last meal, what would you, uh, what would you have? Uh, my mom's spaghetti with garlic bread. Nice. What Ooh. would you have to drink? Uh, probably a glass of water with that. Meal. Right on. Dude had that one teed up. 
Yeah. (laughs) Like anything that favorite meal, it's like mom's homemade spaghetti is like number one, easy answer all the time. Yeah. That's straight comfort food right there too, man. Chase, you got the next one or you want me to keep going? I got the next one here. So obviously, uh, for, um, I mean, most of the people that follow you guys know hush stands for hunt fish. Right. And, uh, what is your, your favorite, um, fish to pursue? Fish? Yeah. Good question. So when I, the first thing that comes to mind when you say pursue, I just think of like entertainment, like catching and having a good time. The first answer that comes to mind for that is bass. I grew up trout hunting. And even though we have some of the best fisheries out here in Utah for like trout fishing and fly fishing, like it just doesn't interest me. The fun for me for bass fishing is the different lures, like top water, spinner baits, jigs, crawdads, stuff like that and feeling the strike. Mm-hmm. So for entertainment, I'd say bass and for, for like eating. Cause like, that's a whole nother, like another train of thought that came into mind was eating would be like all the different species of snapper off the coast of like Texas and Florida. Nice. Right so on. yeah, those are the two I would pursue for like two different reasons. One for food, one for entertainment. Yeah, totally. That's uh, it's funny you talk about uh, like all the fly fishing opportunities you got there, and then and then, but bass is your favorite too. I was having a conversation with a with a fellow a few days ago um, on the podcast, and he was telling me he's big fly fisherman, but he's like, but if I really want to go out and just catch a bunch of fish or like bring something home, I'm probably gonna bring the conventional tackle with me. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, hey, we're on a mission. The goal here is to fill the freezer. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, question number three. I know that you guys do a lot of backcountry hunting and camping, fishing, whatever. But what's that one thing that you don't like about it? About the backcountry style? About the backcountry, like camping, living, all that stuff. Um, sleeping cold at night. Yeah, getting cold. Yeah, I've I've been on some brutal ones, man. But like, not not only is like being cold like a negative but it like adds to the suffering which adds to the reward in the end whether you tag out or not right but i just i just don't enjoy the pain of being cold like i can sit outside here 100 degrees mow my lawn sweat to death be in hawaii sweating and i'm like still okay but like the pain of being cold you guys in canada (laughs) probably like you guys are different up there man but that cold chill like i just don't enjoy that that pain of being cold is is just that uncomfortable for me yeah yeah i think i think the i mean the obviously how your mindset is for cold and but how you prepare for the cold obviously is is a big part of that too and um you guys obviously pack some pretty good gear but i I remember uh talking about cold last year on our moose hunt in northern manitoba there i was uh under bagged we'll say in the in the sleeping bag department and couple nights i remember just waking up shivering half the night kind of thing just being like dang it why didn't i bring a warmer sleeping bag up here yeah and typically you like you have all the gear at home as options and you're sitting there freezing like why did i not pack this why did i not pack that different bag yeah Uh, i was trying to cut weight or whatever but yeah and it reminds me actually i was just talking to my cousin the other day about this story is that we went moose hunting in churchill manitoba which is like the farthest, one of the farthest communities in, in Manitoba to the north, right on the on the Hudson Bay. And um, we we're leaving that morning to go hunting. We looked at the TV and it said minus 52 degrees Celsius. And my cousin's like, oh my God, I can't believe we're doing this. And I'm like, ah, oh man, it could be worse. And he's like, how could that be worse? 
I was like, ah, oh, it could be minus 53, you know, and we just <laughs> laughed and went moose hunting. It was cold. That's a cold day. Yeah. All right. Question number four for you coming at, at you. Um, what's on your playlist these days? On my playlist? Oh, yeah. that's, I don't know why that's been such a common question. Maybe I'm just getting to know a lot of new people and everyone's like, what kind of music do you listen to? Is that what you're <laughs> talking about, right? Yeah, totally. So there's like, I call myself and people just laugh and make fun of me about it. But like, I'm a radio guy. Like I own zero CDs. I don't have MP3s on my phone. I have maybe like four saved songs on my phone that were like things I needed to edit for, for YouTube or whatever little projects. So on my playlist, I have like top country if I'm in that mood, um, which is typically like out on the hills, you know, driving on dirt mm -hmm. roads, like camping. Those are the vibes where I like country music. I have Dirty Heads, which is like my super chill, mow the lawn, clean the house, do dishes and laundry, just kind of beats in the background. I have Enya for when I want to like totally zone <laughs> out, which I have like, I'm not huge into this stuff, but going through some self-development, like they talk about relaxing and visualizing and, and meditation. And I like to put on like those ambient type of musics to kind of just relax you. So I have Enya, I have top hits, which would include, you know, rap, Justin Bieber, like a little bit of everything. And I'll listen to that. And it's not that I'm like into any of it. It's just like, there's different moods. Yeah. And then I have like my darkest days radio channel on Pandora. And that sometimes is some gym music. And then, then I have like dubstep for the gym. Nice. Right. Those are probably my top ones. I can just toggle through those at pretty much at any time and like be satisfied with like those six or seven channels whatever i just mumbled off yeah so yeah i'm like music so many people are so into it and they have their phone lists like downloaded and playlists on spotify i just downloaded spotify <laughs> for um, i'm a pandora i have pandora i've had it since my very first email i ever created <laughs> yeah Amazing. I love listening to music. It definitely can, you know, at different moods and stuff, but I just don't, I don't buy it. I don't, Yeah. I don't do concerts really. Like, I don't know. It's cool, but I don't, I don't really go that often. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Nice. Uh, question, question number five is very, I think it's very simple in a way, but uh, if you could get like your dream vehicle and it could be off-road water, pavement, whatever your dream vehicle, what would you uh, go and pick up? So when I think of a dream vehicle, I think of like the dream car that I could just have, not so much for use, but just to have. And that would be an all original stock hard top Suzuki Samurai. <laughs> I didn't even think that would be anybody's. No offense. <laughs> but, but again, that's not for purpose or function. That's for sentimental value. It was my first vehicle that my, like my dad bought it new off the lot for like eight grand. It was oh, yeah. my sister's first car. Then it was my first car. So like when I think of like, a, it's kind of a collection sentimental thing, but a, a stock original, like no lift, no big tires, just Suzuki Samurai. Right. Yeah. If I had to think like, what would I have? If it feels like for function and daily use, I, I really wouldn't, can't pinpoint it, but it'd be like a stronger truck to pull trailers, like maybe a diesel that just had some power to haul around the four wheelers and the side by sides. Cause right now I've got a Tundra. And it's great, but when it comes to pulling, you know, the bigger stuff, it just doesn't. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, for Gas sure. Guzzler. I got, I got a well, question about the Samurai here for a second. Oh, yeah, yeah. Give her. Uh -huh. What uh, you got? Any good stories about that sucker? Like, what kind of you put you put it to the oh, test at all? Like on the back sure. roads, off roading? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I took that thing all over when I was 
that age of like 15, 16 is when I really got into shed hunting. Yeah. And like my friends always describe it as like, you have two lives. Like we see you all week through school and like the skateboarding and the snowboarding scene. And then on the weekends you're gone. I just hop in the samurai and go sleep in the back, like look for deer sheds, look for elk sheds. But one funny story is it was just the daily driver. I had a, a group of guys and girls, high school type of age, and I was goofing off. There's a big slick ice on the neighborhood, and I thought it'd be <laughs> fun to do a couple of those, which was fun. And then it hit the pavement, and we like did the whole samurai tail. I was like, dude, like kind of did like it happened so fast. You're like, am I really gonna tip over my my vehicle? And it just came down, and I was like, Whew. wow. That's that funny. I've been abandoned, like not abandoned, but I broke broke down on like the back roads, like long nights. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of stories nice. in that. Thing. I'm kidding. Um, a lot of a lot of folks up here in Canada are taking those uh, like smaller SUV type things and uh, throwing tracks on them to go ice fishing in on the on the yeah. big lakes and stuff. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen samurai on tracks before. Mhm. Yeah, and they're pretty sweet little units. It's definitely mm-hmm. nice to have the the heated cabin in that access, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, you made it through the five burning questions fairly easily. It's uh they're always fun to do trying to you know, almost like break the ice, but the reason why we want to get you on obviously is we've been following Hush for pretty much for since it kind of started. And to be honest with you, like one of the reasons why we, you know, me, Chase and Tristan are kind of starting this together. We've been doing it for three years, the panoramic thing. And we've always kind of like always looked at your guys' stuff, your content, your website as uh, almost like inspiration. That's probably why one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to get one of you guys on and talk to you guys about like how it all started, how it started for you in particular. Um, I mean, I did a little bit of reading on you and stuff like that. Like when you're 14 years old and you start filming your own hunts, obviously you got a passion right there and doing the shed hunting, but do you want to maybe go, go through on how it all started for you and bring us up to date kind of idea? Yeah, for sure. So right now I'm a 30, oh, I'm 38, 38 <laughs> years old. And you know, this day and age, right? Like literally everybody, including kids have a smartphone. We have a camera device. So just kind of rewind back to like what you said, when I was just a young teenager, 14, 15, I asked, well, it started really with doing, photography class in high school for the first time and back then i'm not sure if they have this still we would take you know roll of a film take pictures and then actually take it to the dark room develop the the negatives and then print the photos and go through all the chemicals to develop the photos and i just thought that was a cool process and i really started to enjoy like documenting through photos everything i did skateboarding with my friends finding deer on the weekends and then that drove me to want a video camera again, so I can film the deer, all the hiking, the antlers and the skateboarding and the snowboarding life. So I asked my parents for a video camera for Christmas. So for anybody my age, you understand like kids that age, like it wasn't common for like a kid just to be rolling around with a video camera, <laughs> but I was always that guy in the group of friends. And uh, I just loved, I always loved capturing and sharing. And that's an important part of, I think, what, what has led me to where I'm now is I would go, for example, out, find some sheds or maybe call some elk in on camera. I mean, I was like documenting myself like in vlog is what we now call a vlog format where you're self-filming even back then at like 16, 17. And I bring it home so excited to share with friends and family or whoever, whoever I can get to sit down in front of the TV and plug in the audio video cables in hopes to share it that 
in hopes that somebody would think that was cool because I really felt like they were missing out. I didn't have a lot of friends that liked to hunt, didn't have any friends that really liked to shed hunt at that age. So I was like, if I can show people this, these experiences I'm having, I could probably convince a friend or two to maybe come, come do it. So there's always been a desire to share and a desire to inspire. Um, so through that phase, you know, once the internet came around and chat forums were very popular, uh, I was pretty active on a couple um, popular hunting chat forms like Monster Muleys and uh, Muley Madness was another one. Tines Up, which I was a part of for a little while, had a chat form as well. So again, just any chance that I can give to the hunting community through sharing my stories, I just enjoyed that. I mean, that was like, I would just be so like excited to come home from a trip where I got videos and still photos and then upload them to these chat forums. And then that evolved to like DVDs, started filming hunts, guiding hunts, trying to make some money in the hunting space. You know, many of us have that dream just to try to make a living somehow and in hunting. And back then before social media, the, the best way to do that was to guide hunts. And uh, I started guiding and filming for other people's TV shows and learned a lot through that. Went through a phase of making hunting DVDs and shed antler hunting DVDs uh, with my friends at the time, Time's Up. And then this whole new new era of YouTube came and I was at the hunting expo, the Western hunting conservation expo here in Utah back in, I think 2013, my now partner Casey approached me at the booth. Um, so again, he's just, he's an individual. I'm, I'm Eric Chesser, part of a company who makes DVDs. And he came to me and said, Hey man, I really love your content. Uh, you do such a great job of capturing content. You should put it on YouTube and I make a living on YouTube. And I'm like, <laughs> like instant light bulb. I'm like, you make a living off of YouTube? And I was just, I didn't understand that. I, I, I had a YouTube channel since 2006 just to put teasers out there and like little samplers and highlight reels. But yeah, he said he made a living on YouTube. Okay. So I took, that's really all he said. And he's like, I should help you get started. So for the next year, I analyzed every YouTube channel I could. I was watching girls who did like beauty and makeup and his background at the time was family vlogging. So what, like I was just watching a lot of different stuff. So prank channels, beauty, fitness, hobby channels. Like, you know, I build toy trains, like watching everybody do their thing and just listening to how they're talking to the audience and recognizing moments where they promoted a brand and probably got paid. Then I started to learn how you can monetize the back end of YouTube and commercials started to become more popular. So for a whole year I did this and was, I was sold. I was like, this is, this is the direction I need to go with content. And so the next year at the expo, a whole year of phone tag with Casey, the next year at the expo, he's like, Hey, remember me? And I was like, dude, yes. Like I've been analyzing YouTube. I, I see the, I see the vision. I see the long-term goal of digital content. Like I'd love for your help to get me, monetized and start a new channel. And at the time it was with Tines Up. So we did that. He met with me in person and we built the Tines Up YouTube. And we started a series called Tines Up Tuesday. Because one thing Casey taught me was it's all about consistency on YouTube. You should upload every Tuesday and call it Tines Up Tuesday. And so I was like, <laughs> this is genius. Mm -hmm. So we did that. I did that for a while. And unfortunately that partnership uh, with those guys, it just fell apart like many partnerships do. You know, you have a different goal, you have different vision and who's doing the work, who's not that whole mess. So once that ended, 
I was sitting on the fireball footage. So at this time I had already hunted and captured the fireball hunt. Oh. And the majority of it, if any of you guys have watched it, yeah. self film. Mm -hmm. So I always visioned that the fireball video was going to be released at the movie theater because for like three years in a row, as times up, we did a DVD premiere and I kind of took that from the action sports area. Right. People in Salt Lake were doing like these snowboard premieres, you know, their DVD. I was like, why can't we do that? So mm -hmm. I did that the year that we were going to do Fireball, our partnership fell apart. I contacted Casey. I was like, hey, do you want to rent a theater and do a movie premiere with me? Because I have Fireball video that's never been shared. And he had an Idaho elk hunt that had never been shared. So that's what brought me and Casey together on our first collaboration of anything work related outside of just like being buddies. So that's where Hush was born with me. Now, if you go back in Hush, Casey had his family channel, which I call the bread and butter. That's where he made a living. But he had this channel called Hushin' with Levere. So when I got on board, um, him and BMAC were already friends. Because for those who know, there's mm. three partners in Hush. It's it's me, Casey, and BMAC. So those three had already kind of connected on some elk hunts, and they had collaborated on some videos that are still on the Hush channel, which are really fun to go back and watch. And I enter the picture... And that's when we're just like sitting down at the table one night after the premiere, like, why don't we just like all be on Hush, move all the content to Casey's channel. And that's when the channel went from Hushin' with Levere to Hushin'. Right. Interesting. And yeah, that's, kind of, that's kind of the, the long story short-ish to just get us as a partnership, get us as a company. Man, yeah. after like all the like Hush content that I've, I've, uh, I've watched. That's the first time I've actually heard that story. I'm, I'm sure you've told it before on, on other uh, avenues, but uh, that's super yeah. cool, man. Yeah, it's fun because I've been in different partnerships, you know, and a lot of people, the first thing is like the first ship to sink is always a partnership. And I've been there. I've been with partners. So you just don't align on your vision and your goal. And it's it's tough. You need to get a lot of like jealousy or whatever in partnerships like maybe who's more likable and this guy is wants to be the face but we work so well as a partnership because we have different talents and skills and so you kind of got bmac who runs a lot of operations of hush he's really working on the website and the partner agreements and you know the the big giveaways that we do and then me and casey are kind of focused on social content all the different platforms and together we just we make a good partnership and um it's just been really really good for all three of us it's it's the dream job or whatever you want to call it <laughs> oh, it's, kind of, it's kind of funny too because like with our group there's me chase and tristan and in my mind i'm like i don't make much content but i do a lot of like the background work with uh businesses and stuff like that so i'm like in a way it's kind of like i'm bmac chase tristan or like you and um you and uh casey but kind of funny how that all kind of puts together so you guys are so you guys kind of got hush all you got hush all together now as a group you have a couple more employees but i i want to ask you when was the time when it was like yeah this is full 100 percent. we got to do it let's do it like was there that time where it like just clicked and things started rolling for you guys like was there some struggle at the start or how'd yeah. that all work out I would say just to kind of even rewind my personal self, even before Hush, I had this, I mean, it came with like negative self doubts at times, but for the most part, I had this attitude of like, 
well, uh, you know, the hunting industry is a huge space. Like, why can't it be me? And even with the business before, it was like, why can't we have sleeping bags or a tent or maybe be in collaboration with a rifle? Because my inspiration even back then was Bone Collector. And mm-hmm. they were, in my opinion, kind of like, you got three guys that had, you know, brand deals with car seat covers, arrows, like they were literally doing everything that I knew that I could do somehow, some way. And now I didn't know how to get there, but I always had that belief. Well, if it's, if it's been done by somebody, it's possible. So we come together as hush and my background at that time was content creation, you know, video editing website and really building a brand. And I'm not, trying to say like I'm some expert, but through, through trial and error, I've learned a lot about like building a brand, having connection with people and, you know, kind of having a message. So when I came with Hush, like I knew eventually this could be a full-time job for me. When we were as a group, we had moments of like, how big can this really get? Like, can this ever have three of us go full-time? And there was some doubt, you know, coming from my partners and stuff. And you just have those moments of like, I don't know if we'll ever get that big, but we'll at least ride this wave as long as we can. But there was a moment where, you know, Casey and BMAC weren't getting paid by the company for many years. I was taking out a small wage just to kind of get it out of rock bottom and elevate it. But once we started to generate a lot of money on the website, in addition to the partnerships we had, it was like, there was a moment of like, this can be a full-time position for all three of us. And BMAC left a corporate job where he did really well. He was always in a uh, performance-based jobs like sales and, you know, commission and sale, commissionable sales. Casey was in his family YouTube blog, but wanted to obviously put more time and attention into the hunting stuff because it's funner. And, you know, we got three partners that had the same vision and then at that one time, those two both left their current position to dump all their energy in the hush. And that was kind of the moment where we're like, okay, we're going for this. Like, we got to make it work or, or BMAC's going back to corporate and Casey's going back to the family videos. Yeah, that's a big um, moment, man. That's uh, I'm sure there were some butterflies in the stomach after uh, those decisions were made. Yeah, for sure. A lot of excitement too because, you know, we got it to where we were at that time with me being full-time, being like, I'm shipping orders, I'm creating content, uploading YouTube, doing Instagram, doing the website. Like, I mean, the bare minimum, like I'm not that good at website design, but it was good enough to start making sales. The Fireball icon, you know, is really what elevated our merchandise sales. And yeah, at that point it was like, can you, what would happen if three of us dumped full-time effort into this? Right. That's when it just mm-hmm. took off. Yeah. And I think that's a, I think that's a con or, I think it's a common thing for a, a lot of these groups like our and even like my like our group is that you got to have like full-time commitment or effort to try to get it to grow right and when we are all working our own jobs have kids etc it's just like man there's it still takes a lot of time to go shoot a video and edit it or even just get create uh, content for instagram right mm-hmm. um but i'll never forget actually i went to uh i was living up in northern manitoba and i met tristan like our partner um, and his buddy, they were hunting in Ashland for elk. And I met them down there to go and join them at camp. And I met them at the bar. And I remember looking at, I think it was Tristan was wearing a hush hat. And I'm like, man, what is that? And that's like, that was six years ago, you know? And then yeah. that's, you know, it just, 
I don't know. It's like we've been friends forever, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Um, So, yeah, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, too, we kind of want to talk a little bit about elk hunting here right away because Chase got drawn for a tag here in the fall. But um, the whole whole elk thing, like, was that something from the get-go? It's just like we're going to, you know, it just seems like Hush has a lot of focus on elk hunting, obviously, with your logo and stuff. Is that kind of your niche or is is that something that you guys always just try to focus on was to grow it around elk hunting? Well, not necessarily. Like when we when we had Hush, what we all loved is like the idea of hunt fish was so broad, mm-hmm. and we we were just like, this is so cool that we haven't pigeonholed ourselves into one you know category. We can literally make videos about anything. So we'd make cooking recipe videos, shed antler hunting recipes, deer, elk, etc. But over all these years, like I've noticed shed hunting archery content and elk hunting are kind of the top three that seems to get trashed right so we've never strategically sat down and been like hey we're gonna like go elk hunting more or because it's better we should do more that's just what gets a lot of traction and luckily over the last few years like well starting with the logo this just this logo really came from the fireball video and even when I killed the bull before I was part of Hush, I, I knew that I would eventually make this like some type of design or mark. And when we launched it, I was really passionate about, you know, it looks cool. One, it's original. It's an, the actual trace of an actual elk we actually killed. Mm-hmm. And then I thought it was cool because for me, it represented like the never give up attitude, work hard. You know, if you ever find yourself out on a hunt, hopefully this mark right here can remind you just to like stay in the game mentally never give up and never quit. So that's kind of why we had a Hush logo before this. And it was kind of like a triangular thing. And it had like some hunting hook, or some hunting arrows and like some fishing hooks and some design. But it was, this is just resonated with the people. Mm-hmm, right. So we just, again, not, we just kind of like recognized that like it slowly became a logo, not even on purpose or planned or anything. But as far as the content, like I think all three of us enjoy elk hunting probably the most. So we're most passionate about that. My history with elk is never in my wildest dreams growing up in Utah would I have ever thought I'd have as much opportunity to hunt elk and hunt like quality elk the way I have in the last few years. Because in Utah it was you had general season, which our units are just not that great. But somehow I've been very fortunate to do really well to general season hunt here. Right place, right time you know, playing the boundary games, learning the little pockets that are just overlooked. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, it just kind of happened. Like it's, it's just our most popular, not because we like pushed for it. It's just, right. it's what we're, this is one thing I'll say people, no matter what we do, what I have found is that people want to see you do no matter who you are, they want to see you do what you're most passionate about. That's when they can just feel the passion. They can see it in the video. They can feel the excitement. They can feel the emotion. And so like I might go spearfish a barracuda and it's like cool content. People might watch it because it's like something new, but they want to see me go either find sheds or hunt elk because they know deep down that that's, that's my true passion. Right. And that's why I think those topics have done the best on our channel because those are really the ones that we love the most. Yeah. And, uh, the the elk hunting crowd is just nutty man i gotta say that (laughs) yeah i always feel like 
you got the West who just, we all love elk. They're big, they're powerful, they're vocal. And then like the 80 or 90% of hunters that live on the East coast, they desire to hunt elk. Like that's their dream hunt. So now we have like, it's fun for these people to watch cause they can uh, relate to it. And then it's fun for these people, which is the mass audience. All the hunters are back East. They just, that's their dream hunt. So they want to watch it all. Mm-hmm. But those are, I think that's another reason why like those videos might get more views and more traction. There's just an audience that just thinks elk hunting is just so cool. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've like, uh, the first time we started <laughs> hunting elk in the rut in the archery season, um, no other animal has really done this to me that like, I would, I would go to sleep and I would almost like be hallucinating about elk bugling when I'm going yeah. to bed. <laughs> it's like, what is happening to me right now? Yeah. yeah. It's like when I, when like we go waterfowl, uh, hunting and you're sitting there and you get like thousands of geese flying over and you're calling and your buddies are calling and it's just like constant honking all morning. And then you go home for that nap and you're just trying to fall asleep and all you can hear is geese honking. Yeah. Um, that was kind of the same thing with Chase. And when our, one of my first archery experiences with, with Chase, chasing down a bull and hearing hearing that. And then that night, yeah, same thing, Chase. I was like going to bed. I could still hear the bull in my head. Yeah. It's just like, this is weird, man. This is this is cool. When you say you, you drew a good elk tag, like how good, what type of hunt is this going to be? Well, Manitoba hunting elk in Manitoba has got to be like one of the hardest elk hunts ever, especially like we're, we're doing public land hunting and, uh, the area we're going to is what's called the inner lake between two of the, the big lakes in Manitoba. And it's just like pretty much all swamp. Well, it's like half swamp and then half like high ground, but it's like very, very thick, thick woods. Like, uh, two years ago when I drew, um, I had, well, we had how many different bulls there? Probably th- three for sure, maybe four different bulls um, under, I'd say, 30 yards. And then one I had at, like, 15 yards and just can get an arrow through because, like, the, the bush is just so thick. That's crazy. So yeah. it's in- insane. But uh, you work for it. But if you work hard enough, there's definitely some good opportunities to be had. So got a bit of a bone to pick with them out there and uh i'm I'm looking forward to it man it's a little bit of a redemption huh yeah, yeah big time like four years running now for us yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are my favorite man there's something about like getting your butt kicked a little bit that makes you just want to go back and like i always see it as like like i went to colorado otc last year i put like 18 days into it nice. and i walked away with no elk I missed one and then was full draw on another one that I never let go because it just wasn't right. And I just walk off there like this place kicked my butt. <laughs> and so like it, it, it like it gets to me where I'm like, I need to kill an elk right here. Yeah. Like not anywhere on the mountain over across the other road. Like, no, this place kicked my butt. Now I want to come back and kill one right here. Yeah. This is so something you got to conquer. Uh huh. Yeah. I feel you, man. I, I, that's why I feel the same way. Partly because I know the area pretty good, but partly because like we've been so close, man. Like you could almost taste those things. And, and like you said, I was full draw. I think Sheldon, you were at full draw that one year on that, yeah. on that bull. I was yeah. like 10 yards, I think from you. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I could just see his knees. I couldn't even see his body. Yeah. It was wild. Insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when it comes to elk hunting, I'm probably 
the, the biggest rookie out of us three on when it comes to elk hunting. I just started about three, four years ago, do a lot of moose hunting, deer hunting, etc. But I just wanted to ask you, like, what are some of your tactics when pursuing elk? Like, I know obviously you call and, you know, locate, call, blah, blah, blah. But like, do you ever go like chasing after them until they like challenge you back kind of idea when you're calling? Like, is there any kind of strategy when you guys go out hunting? Man, when I was young, I would go out into some of these units in Utah that are what we call limited entry. So like they're very hard to get. It's going to take like 15 to 25 years on average to pull some of these tags. And that was a long time ago. And I would, I would just call elk in left and right. Like it was so, so easy. And when I started going on like these like OTC hunts, it wasn't the same. So even with the success I've had with elk, very few have anything to do with calling at this point. And I've noticed this like, I've noticed them adapt over the years of like more people calling, more people like getting out and blowing on reeds. They've kind of become call shy in some of the zones I hunt. And I have leaned more into like ambush style and spot and stock style hunting. Hmm. So when it comes to elk hunting, I am willing to use any tactic and tool to kill an elk. So I've killed them calling. I've killed them just spot and stock. I've killed them um, in a tree saddle this last year. Finally, that was a big goal of mine to like shoot them out of a tree saddle. So like my, like what I would tell anyone who wanted to hunt elk, and it's just so different based on terrain. Like it sounds like where your guys at, it's very thick. The benefit to that is like calling. They'll come close because they literally have to. I've been in units that are so wide open out West that they're visual more than they are vocal and calling's not that effective because they'll literally be across the Canyon 300 yards. And just like, I hear a cow call. I don't see one. I'm out, you know, lose interest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I just consider everything and then attack it as needed with no, like I don't let anything stop me. Like, oh, they're hitting wallows. They're not very vocal. It's pretty hot. I'm gonna sit here on water. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna sit here all day because I have that patience now. So I just use every single tool I can in the tool belt. Nice. That's a that's a good approach. And I think especially for like an animal like like elk that that is very uh tough to figure out some days, you know, you almost have yeah. to have that open mindset. Yeah, some people I'd say a lot of people because of the internet and like videos and TV shows and DVDs, like a rut elk hunt is everybody's dream. That's what we want. But if you find yourself going and they're just not being vocal, you might be a little early. Maybe the rut's a little too hot to kind of keep them vocal. That's when you have to allow yourself to be okay to shift gears and say, I'm going to sit on this wall at midday. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to actually get high and back up and just see if I can glass them and have, a spot and stock or ambush style. Oh, dude. I am still waiting for my rut fest archery elk hunt. Like I'm waiting for the day that I'm just like in the, just like the YouTube videos and the Corey Jacobs <laughs> in. I'm like, why does this never happen to me? I always find myself in these spot and stock situations, but yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited to get like some true elk rut action, which it sounds like you guys have had. We've had some, time. we've had some good days, man. Um, Funny story though that we're kind of talking about, you know, just the maybe the the not so brighter side of of elk pursuits. Um, the only chance, the only time I actually let an arrow fly at an elk, and uh, the listeners I'm sure have heard this this uh, story before from me. But the first year we went hunting, and we had a pretty successful year. Um, 
the fact that we we connected with a few different bulls and which was my whole goal out of the gate but my last last day there for the first tour i was going back to grab a trail cam uh midday and i was like well i better throw my bow with bring my bow with me just in case and i'm walking down this trail man this quad path and an elk cow elk jumps up off the trail like 10 yards from the trail and i give her a little squeak on the on the mouth call and she stops 25 yards and uh i remember just being at full draw thinking this is it this is how i'm going to get my first elk and it's any elk in that in that unit and uh i let the arrow go and i smoked this tree dead center <laughs> this little like sapling like three feet from her and uh i was i thought i was like well it's close enough that arrow's got to be in her and i walked up there and my broadhead I was using uh, uh, Muzzy 3s and had cut a perfect V-notch in this tree. The tree is teetered over. My arrow was sitting, I kid you not, like in the notch, just like wow. this, perfectly balanced. And I was just like, I cut that thing out, out of the out of the tree and brought it back to camp to show the boys. And be oh, like, like, yo, yeah. memories right here. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, that's I've, I've been in so many moments where you kind of – get ahead of yourself and you're like oh game over right like it's done and every time i've done that i screw up mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy how that all works and like another quick story too is one of the first bull elks that uh or bull elk that i was hunting with him and he called him in like within 15 yards like i could hear that like i don't even know what's called like that gurgle in their throat kind of idea mm -hmm. like he was so close like smell him everything and he was raking brush right beside me and that's the same thing i was sitting there my bow i was ready and I'm, i was thinking to myself this is game over like he's gonna walk right out in front yeah. of me and he never walked out in front of me and he turned turned and walked away you know yep. but that's yeah, crazy how that works but at the same time you have to have confidence when you're when you're archery hunting too so for sure so it's a good mix um before i hand it over to chase he probably has a few questions for you too but when you guys do harvest an animal elk or any animal it is do you guys have any type of like um traditions or anything with within hush or yourself or your family or whatever when you take an animal i mean sometimes for us it's a you know a shot of good scotch or you know cooking up the tenderloins in the shop after of deer hunts and do you guys have anything like that um for me personally like i never have like obviously approach show respect kind of have a moment but over the last few years i've added this one and sometimes i forget just because i haven't really made it a, a habit yet but when i do remember um i'll give the animal this goes for all animals is just one last meal and my buddy dreo taught me that um he lives in new mexico and that's his tradition is you kill the animal and to show it respect you pull some grass and you put it in its mouth and its cheek right there and that is what what he calls one last meal and uh i've added that and it's just one of those like it just makes it special you feel like you're giving back a little bit and showing respect mm -hmm. um but outside of that and just kind of the normal like having a, a quick moment um nothing outside of that for me but adding the one last meal has been cool and especially on the hunts where dreo's there like i i know how much it means to him it's like it really makes it special when he's there so when i've done it on my own i'm just like dreo would be proud and it kind of just makes you feel good you know uh, yeah for sure cool. yeah that's cool um i'm curious you um obviously we talked about 
uh, you know, having that the confidence and being maybe a little bit overconfident being could possibly be a mistake. But what are some of uh, maybe one or two of the biggest lessons you've learned through your elk hunting journey here that uh, you might want to pass on? Um, the first one is you've got to have that optimistic mindset and you've got to be out in the field with that optimistic mindset because your worst hunt can become your best hunt like that when you least expect it. I've had moments where you're down, you know, you're, you're just, you're trying to stay positive. And before you know it, you're like, it's that easy. Like that just happened. Whether that's like, you got an elk came in and you know, you weren't ready and it runs off. So one tip is just to stay positive, you know, call like, call it like the hunting, the, what do we call it? Positive hunting attitude, PHA, positive hunting attitude. Um, and just remember that like, as long as you're out in the field, you have a chance, but if you're not, if you're being lazy, you're back at camp, you're at home, like you're, you've just, you've already counted yourself out. So stay positive, never give up, you know, put yourself in a position as many hours as you can to have a chance. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. what was, let's see, what would be like another one? I I would just say learn to learn to adapt because a lot of times I think most hunters can relate to this. Like we visualize what it's going to be. And sometimes you're right, right? Like you're like, I'm going to go into those woods, that spot I've been, I'm going to bugle them into that meadow and boom, it's going to be game over. Sometimes when you manifest that, it'll happen exactly like you planned. Sometimes it doesn't. And you need to be able to like, you need to be able to be okay with that and like adapt. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I mean is like, you might go into it thinking, I'm going to have a bugle fest. Well, if they're not focal and you see the signs that they're there, it's time to like just shift into the next tactic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be plastic. Um, I had something else I was going to ask you there for a second, but, um, I, I do want to talk about the, the, the whole midday challenge too. And, and I'm a big, uh, I mean, same kind of mindset that like, if I'm elk hunting, I want to be in the field as much as I can. Um, like you said, you can't kill them from the couch. And like um, the podcast you did with Tony Peterson, one of the – man, his voice rings in my head every time I'm like pondering if I should go hunting or not. And he's always like – and what he said was hunters, a lot of guys will make excuses to not go hunting. So mm-hmm. I always try and find an excuse to go hunting. I'm like, all right, I'm in. I'm not being that guy today. Yeah. But yeah. – um, um, so the midday is always kind of like something that's, that's kind of got me thinking and, and it's, uh, we've built up some, some bulls midday, but you were talking earlier about maybe sitting on some wallows close to water. What kind of success have you had around that? Um, so last year, last year is a perfect example of like, vi- like making a game plan, visualizing it and actually having it happen the way I wanted to. Um, so I, the year before I had found a water hole that had elk sign around it and just that's all it took to be like this is an active water hole so this year um i got myself a tethered i think last a couple years ago we got the tethered um tree saddle Mm -hmm. and i just i've always wanted to shoot an elk from the tree and i always visualized that it would be from a tree stand but then we got these tree saddles that are lightweight super mobile you know, I didn't, I didn't have to worry about like, oh, that's a few miles in there. I don't want to drag a tree stand and all the stuff. So hadn't been there all year. 
but had the vision of like, I'm going to tree saddle this water hole. So on the way in, fresh elk droppings right in the trail that, that goes to the water hole, get to the water hole, fresh elk tracks imprinted. You know, you kind of see like the berm of the water where you're like, that looks like an antler time, like dug out some mud. So mm-hmm. it looks like some bulls have been active here. So that was one of those times where I was like, one, it's early September. They're not that vocal yet. And they're in that stage. You have to consider everything, right? Like they're in the stage where like bulls are going to start trolling or tram. I call it trolling or tram. They're checking these cows. They're not in heat. They're moving over here. You know, and with that, they're getting hot. They want to walk, wallow, et cetera. So I set the tree saddle the first night and a calf came in, a calf elk. So that was like just confirmation of like female elk. Like they're in here. I saw, I've seen tracks, I've seen droppings. Like everything tells me there's elk right here no bugles except for other hunters that kind of tricked me there for a second so i was like oh bugles are coming in but it was just hunters walking by next morning i was late i got in there a little late maybe 15 20 minutes too late it was already first light and i'm like well if an elk's gonna come in it, it's got to come this direction because the wind is blowing this way and 30 minutes later here comes a nice six point bull elk right under my tree six yards out of one of my shooting lanes and shot him and got him nice, Second nice. Day of the hunt. so that that was a very effective sit in water um when i killed the fireball that was actually sitting a meadow like where he really liked to feed mm-hmm. because that mountain sounds like maybe some of what you're dealing with you're probably dealing with more brush but like the fireball was more wooded area and it didn't provide good feed so they always it always seemed like the bulls at night and morning were in these meadows like grassy meadows and so that was just a matter of time um for him to come out so that that took some well for those who haven't seen it like i shot the bull on day four of my hunt and then 12 days later shot him again out of the same meadow (laughs) so yeah yeah, it's just like the waiting game's tough man and i'll tell you like people that kind of give like sitting meadows or sitting wallows or water holes like oh like get out of the tree like go chase them go do this like first off i'm like done that already i'm ready for a new challenge yeah but to have the the mental toughness to sit in a field a meadow a water hole a waddle a wallow for all day like if you can push through that you just like gain mental strength that's going to help you do anything else. Yeah. The funny, that's, that's kind of like you mentioned earlier too, is just like how your, your day, your worst day can, can change in a heartbeat because that's, I mean, sitting in one spot stationary is, is very tough mentally for, for a lot of folks. And, uh, you know, there, especially when you're elk hunting, there's always that voice in the back of your mind, like you're saying, like, all right, let's go try some calling somewhere. Let's go see if we can find some elk. And then if you're sitting there and that's in the back of your head and you're like, all you need is that want to come in, right? Because that's mm-hmm. all you want to, and that's that's what is going to change the day for you. So, yeah, yeah, that's tough. <clears throat> um, What else did I have for you here? I had something else that I want to chat about. Um, I think what, what I do want to, talk quickly before we wrap up here because we're we are getting tight um what uh what's on the plans for the fall what what can we look forward to seeing so i'm glad you asked that question because i'm so excited about the answer (laughs) the last few years we had just like a mixed bag of tags and we we filmed what we called was our best season yet 
and we filmed it in like different ways. Like we started out with like day to day, like we did a video <laughs> every day for 84 days in a row. But with that, you would see my perspective, Casey's perspective, Femac's perspective, even when we were apart. So it might be like, hey guys, Eric here, hunting elk in Idaho. And then bounce over to Casey. Hey, I'm just at my house, like, you know, shooting my bow. So that was fun. And that, that year it got a lot of, uh, a lot of organic raw type of feel and that got a lot of people to kind of get to know us better. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's evolved over the years. And then this year we're just excited to like, again, mix it up, like do something different. I really went into this fall with the attitude of like, I want to put more time into mule deer hunting. Um, and then before you know it, dude, I just start drawing these elk tags. (laughs) (laughs) And so like the first year I was like, all right, I've done some great elk hunts. I've accomplished a lot there. Like I'm going to shift my energy to mule deer and like whitetail. I just start getting these elk tags. So I drew a limited entry elk tag here in Utah. Nice. Um, tag that would take someone 20 years to draw. That's like, that's like the tag draw odds. And I drew it through the conservation expo. So I'm like, boom, I have a chance to kill a giant again. This is a November hunt. And then I find out, like before that, I already hopped on Idaho's website for non-resident and got myself what I would call like a very over-the-counter, least desired unit ever for an elk hunt in um, Idaho in November. I'm like, oh, I got two November elk tags. Cool. Then I find out I drew an Arizona late rifle hunt in December. Holy smokes. I'm like, wow, now I have three elk tags. And then through my friend um, who I've hunted with, Dreo, who I mentioned, I get what they call a landowner tag in New Mexico that is unit wide. So I've done the hunt three years now, killed three bulls. It's an October rifle hunt. I'm like, wow, how do I have four tags that don't overlap? Like usually <laughs> my hunts are like this, like every hunt's like, you know, their tail end overlaps. Yeah. So I had four and trust me, I'm stoked on that. I, I think I've killed multiple years. I've killed two bulls last year. I almost killed three. I really should have. And so again, like going back to what I said earlier, like I never really thought I'd have a chance to hunt elk this often. They just, it seems so untouchable to get these really, really hard tags. And now I'm finding opportunity. So I have four tags and going back to that redemption hunt, while I'm looking at the tags, I'm like, well, September, which is the funnest time to hunt them is wide open. I should just go to Colorado, do OTC again. Now I have five elk tags. <laughs> and the theme for me, not so much for Hush, but Eric as an individual, which will all be filmed and edited, uploaded to uh, YouTube on Hush, is I'm going what I'm calling five for five. Oh, yeah. So hunting five states, hunting elk in five states. One's archery. Like, I honestly wish I had more archery, archery opportunity, but one's archery and four rifle. But I tell myself, like, when are you ever going to find the time where you can have five elk hunts that like don't overlap and like actually give you time to like put effort into them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going all in on, on the elk. I have a couple, a couple of deer tags and a caribou tag in between. Like this year's goal is like, is to take each of those hunts on like a hundred percent. And the fun thing I think about the series or whatever it becomes is I'll be able to show people like, all right, guys, this is OTC. This is public land. This is high pressure with not a lot of elk. It's archery equipment. And here's my tactics and why. Yeah. yeah. And then they're gonna they're gonna go from that to like other good hunts. And then I'll be like, guys, this is a 20 year tag. This is something that takes you 20 years. Public land, premium units. 
watch the difference of the quality of elk and watch the different strategies as I explain every single one of them and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I think this year, not only for myself, but just the people that have heard me say, I'm going to go five, I'm going to try to go five for five. Like everybody's excited because when you have like a goal, somewhat of a challenge, like people are so interested in it and it's mm -hmm. just giving me like motivation for this fall to just go hard like on every single one of those hunts yeah that's wild man and i like the how you how your thought process is on that already how it is like every every uh every hunt's going to be different right every approach you take is going to be different to those yeah. hunts a teachable moment almost for your uh, viewers right yeah different exactly. landscapes different tactic yeah you're that's right like it'll come down like hey here's the terrain of this one thick aspens thick pines like here's why i decided to be in a tree stand today Mm -hmm. this one's like rifle post rut the bulls are in these dark holes here's why i'm just getting high in glasses you know so it's gonna be fun man like i've never experienced that i don't know if i'll ever have a year where i have five again you right. know so i'm taking advantage of it i've got some it's funny you get pushed back like throwing that out on social media then having a couple be like i just don't agree with it like one elk will feed you all year like why would you go kill five you know mm-hmm it's just like i've we've yeah we've seen that i, I mean obviously we we've that. never drawn five tags <laughs> but i love that five elk tags hell yeah but uh <laughs> oh man that uh yeah we've we've seen that that argument before too and it's yeah i mean find a place for the meat and and uh yeah. go hunt right. man not a lot of people see you know and i'll just talk about touch base on this for a minute when i guided elk hunts and deer hunts you know one of the perceptions and this probably me included when I was younger is all these rich people go on all these hunts. They kill way more animals than they'll ever eat. Like what the heck's, you know, like why are they got to go kill so much? When I started guiding hunts, I, I was like proud to be able to tell people who had that attitude, like, Hey, listen, I, I get where you're coming from, but like my clients will shoot an elk, pay the processor to package it. And I'll go take it to families and older people who can't hunt and take it to the church and divvy it out. Mm -hmm. And people don't see that, right? Like they pay for the processing, pay for it, and then gift it. So I've been able to do that myself on a much smaller scale. Like my Idaho or my archery Utah bull last year, um, I'm not trying to toot my own horn on this, but when I shot this tree saddle bull, it was pretty warm. And I had, I had a couple buddies or like, they're my buddies now, but a couple people stopped by my camp. Like, Hey, you're hunting alone. I'm like, yeah, like, shoot, man, if you get anything down, let us know. Well, little did they know that next day at like noon, I show up in the <laughs> camp and they're like, like they knew it. They're like, you got one? I'm like, yeah, I'm here to get some help. Cashing so in, buddy. We, yeah. Like, come <laughs> help me. And they were like, let's go. And it was down this hole. And I had already had a freezer full of meat. And the three guys that were there, one of them had a small family with multiple children and a wife. And the other two were just younger guys. And we were cutting it up. And I'm just like, hey, would you guys want any of this meat? And they just light up. Like, well, yeah, yeah. we love it. And so I said, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to take it to the processor because I'm like learning, right? From like the people before me, like I'll take it to the processor, pay for it. And you three can split it however you want. Mm -hmm. And they just like, couldn't believe it. And I've had this happen multiple times. And the one guy with the young family was like, dude, I'm feeding six mouths. Like you have no clue how much that will help me and my family. Yeah. So like people just forget like what's going on behind the scenes. And I don't necessarily document and show that all the time. I don't, 
you know, some things just happen in private and that's okay. Yeah, totally. But there's a lot of good going behind. Like if I get five elk tags, trust me, me, my family, my family's friends, maybe a few strangers that help pack it out. Like we're all eating good. Yeah. 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 That we, we eat quite a bit of wild meat at our, our place. And, uh, I like to share a lot of it too. And, uh, but there's like always like, all right, am I, am I at a safe enough level that I have enough meat in my freezer to enjoy for until I can acquire some more. So yeah. I wish I had more to like give out to people like in my neighborhood and my friends and stuff like that. But, uh, um, the, uh, the, I think like you mentioned there about those guys coming, coming out to help you pack out. And a lot of things that people don't see behind the scenes too, is like, especially if you got a camera crew with you or there's two guys hunting and plus the camera guys, you know, if there's four or five people on a hunt and they're all packing meat, I can pretty much guarantee all those guys are taking meat home. So really like you yourself are not always taking a full elk home either. You're, you might, you might be only getting a percentage of that meat. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And like, and, and to be honest, let's like, I will say too, that's, a prime example of like edu- like educating people that don't understand maybe um to be blunt right like i've got it before like deer hunt shoot a couple deer shoot a whole bunch of birds like uh ducks and geese and then go for a moose hunt and get a moose and people are like well what are you doing with a lot of meat and i'm like frick man i'm eating it like i'm poor half the year so it's like you know what i mean like what does it matter to you but at the same time just know that we're responsible hunters like i don't know it's one of those things that has always bothered me throughout the years and it's just I've got um, family that do outfitting and the same thing. Like they have, um, you know, some of these hunters that come in, they shoot these big moose that are, you know, 600 pounds of meat, let's say, or whatever. Well, they're taking it to the local indigenous community and they're donating it to a lot of the elders and, you know, the appreciation there that nobody talks about. Yeah, right. Yeah. And it's just like, that's such a nice thing to do to people, you know, is to give them gifts of, especially the, some of the communities up here like give them gifts of food that they used to eat as a child you know and they don't might yeah. not get it as much anymore yeah when but. i was guiding in that outfit uh, down in southern utah it really was the older generation that like just loved it the most like you go and hand out a bunch of deer steaks to like an older guy who loves it but just doesn't have the ability to go do it it's just getting too old they yeah. are just so appreciative of stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah man when i was I did some guiding back in my day and, um, like my favorite thing was for, if we're moose hunting was like, guys would give me a quarter of a moose or something like that. And that was in my mind, that was better than getting like a cash tip. I was like, hell yeah, I'll take that quarter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been able to, uh, even, even when I cut up animals now and you have like scrap, I have just a friend who will shred it and feed it to his minks. Oh yeah, and he'll take the tongue, the brains. Like he tells me, like if you ever butcher an animal, like keep the bones. Like I'm always trying to find ways to like literally utilize as much as possible. Every scenario is different. Mm -hmm. Uh, Anything that's like not consumable for humans, like I'll just give it to him for like dog bones and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. that's cool. Um, Don't want to take up too much more of your time here, Eric. And uh, it actually kind of a good segue is like talking about. what you're doing with your meat and stuff like that. And I don't know, I'm just going to kind of go on a tangent. I call this the round table where I get to say my final thoughts before we say goodbye. But um, having a guy like you on our podcast is just something that brings to my mind is that I've been watching you guys hush, you know, meat eater, all these different groups throughout, let's say North America. And you get all these ideas on how to utilize that meat, you know, like how to uh, 
use all the scraps or, you know, do whatever, make dog food with it. And I'm so fortunate to be um, in this era of time where we can, you know, kind of lean on each other in different groups in different parts of the world and find out different ways to take advantage of hunting. Um, and the last thing I want to say to you, Eric, too, is like I listened to one of your guys' podcasts when you had shit crazy on and listening to that story and I'm like bawling in my truck driving to work. And it's just <laughs> like right there is like why I love being outdoors, why I love being a hunter um, and why I like talking to guys like yourself. So whatever you do, man, you and your group, you and Hush and everyone else, keep doing what you're doing because uh, guys like me appreciate it. Yeah, that's good to hear. Thank you. Thank you. And that like gives me chills hearing about that story with Ben because it was it was it was never meant to be shared. It was just something that happened in the moment. You know, here we got this this our good friend in a hard time and we mm-hmm. we had a solution and we could help. So every time we see him, he's like, This is pretty much your truck because he went and bought it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, it it is cool, right? Like the digital wave, a lot of people, you know, oh, I hate social media, it's ruining hunting, whatever social media and being able to connect with others has just elevated my life. Like I could never believe I've met people all over and it's, it's, it's led me to some of my best friendships and best moments in life. And it's opened a lot of doors of opportunity and it's fun, man. Like, I love it. I, I, people ask me like, will you ever stop filming? Like, do you ever get sick of it? And my answer is no. Like I don't see myself ever stopping doing what I do. Like, to some level i'll always be documenting and sharing because i've always wanted to inspire and motivate others to do the same and find something in life that just gives them something to wake wake up to and look forward to mm-hmm. so appreciate the compliment that's that's big thank you chase any last words before we uh say goodbye here oh man i just want to say thanks eric for coming on uh it's been a real pleasure chatting with you it's like like Sheldon kind of said you, you've been an inspiration to a lot of folks in the in the outdoor industry, myself included, a lot of times. And uh, yeah, just uh, keep uh, keep on fighting the good fight, pretty much, man. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, dude. Let's do it. Let's all do it. Like like minded people like you guys that are out here to spread awareness and, and help other people get started and live this lifestyle. And as long as we're always doing that, like we'll never fail ever and where it goes like who knows but if if our goal is to help others and inspire others like we'll just we'll never fail at it so keep up with the podcast and doing what you guys are doing and um that's the kind of stuff we need more of out there is just positivity and, and good people and i guess the uh the last thing for me to say here is uh good luck this fall man yeah. <laughs> five for five man follow yeah. it on the hushing youtube channel or our instagram or whatever but we'll be documenting let's go right. Appreciate it, guys. Good luck on your hunt, too. You too, buddy. Take care. Thanks so much for coming to the podcast. It's uh, it's great to just have a, a vet like you hanging out with the boys and uh, sharing some of your knowledge and experience there. So thanks so much. Yeah, and- it was uh, it was a pretty cool conversation, man. It was just like uh, kind of like hanging around the campfire with him and and telling hunting stories. So really enjoyed that episode. Cool, man. I got uh, I got a couple funny stories here for you before we take off. Um, before I get to them, though, if anyone's interested in picking up some new gear for fall here um obviously our, we got lots of gear in store check it out panoramic outdoors.com hoodies hats and uh, all kinds of other gear so 
Um, That's time. But story number one. These are both highway stories. Is that a Lockport story? Um, no, these will be fairly short. But um, So I'm coming home late from Winnipeg last week. Can't remember what I was doing. What exactly was it? I can't remember. Anyways, I'm coming down the perimeter, and you know how the uh, the new overpass there on 59 is uh, yeah. some there's some pretty substantial bumps there. Yeah, and you can see where all like the the trailers have like caught air and like landed, and there's all the the black tire streaks there. Anyways, the cops have the place lit up, and there's two tow trucks there, and I roll up on the scene, and there's this pontoon boat huge pontoon boat had flown right off the guy's trailer into the ditch no. yeah and they're picking it up oh. <laughs> so obviously he didn't have it strapped down good enough or whatever but uh they definitely need to fix that bridge because it's an issue um man, man that is uh that makes my stomach turn just thinking of that yeah so make sure you got your load strapped down good if you're traveling down the perimeter you manitoba folk and then the, the second thing I seen was also on the perimeter, and there was this uh, this truck towing like a, a livestock trailer, just like a pickup truck, and mm-hmm. uh, there's another truck right behind it, and one of the cows just started taking a leak on the hi- highway, and it was just this huge stream of piss pretty much going into the truck right behind okay. it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, I was like, I'm glad I'm not tailgating that dude. Oh man. Anyways, there's your lesson for today. Don't tailgate the uh the livestock trailers, folks. Uh, yeah, that is a good one. You know, even if no matter how close you want to get to those cows. Yeah. No I'm kidding. Well, if uh if this is the last podcast you're listening to before the weekend, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know, but we're gonna wish you well. On the weekend, hopefully you're on the water somewhere, or maybe you're doing a little scouting, maybe you're doing a little foraging, hopefully you're doing a little planning for the fall, just like we are. And so before we say goodbye, we just want to give you uh, just a few simple tips there, eh, Chase? Keep those uh, broadheads fixed. (laughs) Keep those boats strapped down. Keep your boats strapped down and don't tailgate the, the cattle trailers. Yeah. I was going to say uh, keep the nuts on your bird dog, but that's more of a personal one. Ah, Yeah. Depends who you talk to. Yeah. Anyways, catch you next time, folks. 